you, you don't see many people from Finland in the NBA. So he's a kind of a unicorn from, from Finland. Lauri has that national identity called Finnish Sisu. You realize that without it, he wouldn't be there where he is right now. Make the NBA from Finland is really a crazy feeling just because there's not too many that have done it. Welcome to SC Featured. I'm Jen Latta. Lauri Markkinen grew up in Finland, where ice hockey is the most popular sport. In fact, there have been approximately 200 Finnish players who have played in the NHL, compared to just one in the NBA, Hanno Matala. He's the only Finnish-born player to play in the league, drafted by the Atlanta Hawks in the second round of the 2000 NBA draft, and played two seasons in Atlanta. Lauri Markkinen tried playing ice hockey, but he got bored with putting on all of the equipment. So instead of the ice, Lowry went to the court. I grew up in uh, central Finland, Iraskola. I love the city and a lot of the people there. It's a great place. It's three hours north from Helsinki. Lowry is the youngest of three boys, and sports played a huge role in their lives growing up. It still does today. Lowry's parents both played professional basketball in Finland. The oldest Markkinen son, Aero, plays professional soccer in Sweden and also plays for the Finland national team. Middle sibling, Mika, followed in his parents' footsteps and has played basketball professionally in Finland. And the youngest, Lauri, will most likely be a top 10 pick in the NBA draft after playing one season at Arizona. In the Markkinen household, it was always competitive. Lauri has been very competitive. Uh, always, like uh, whatever we did, whatever we did, uh, he always wanted to compete. We were always counting who is winning, who is losing, and he hates losing. He's when he was young, he always started crying and ran, ran inside. But uh, later on, when he started winning, and uh, uh, it's been natural for Lauri. My boys, they are very competitive, <laughs> even when they run. The stairs, they want to be number one. They were competing <laughs> everywhere, even having an ice cream. They would have a same kind of piece. That's Lowry's parents, Pekka, his father, and Rika, his mother. From a very young age, Lowry was drawn to sports. One year old, normally those kids in that age, they have all kind of uh, teddy bears and everything around them, but... If I watch Lowry's pictures when he was young, he was sleeping with uh, basketball, football, tennis balls. Growing up, Lowry played soccer, basketball, and ice hockey. Pekka thought his youngest son would become a European soccer player. I was expecting that Lowry continues playing soccer when in his last game he was scoring three goals. He, he made hat-trick, and I was sure that he wants to play more and more and continues playing that one. But then suddenly, after game, he told me that uh, that's it. He's not that interested. He doesn't get enough from soccer. So he's, he rather plays only basketball. Arrow, who is five years older than Lowry, remembers coming home from school or practice and seeing Lowry in the backyard shooting hoops. I would say I picked on Lowry quite a bit uh, when we played one-on-one, -on -one, doesn't matter what we played. 
Uh, I always beat him. And sometimes I tried to make the game close so he would play again. You get bullied a little bit, but and you, you they never let you win, so it's you really have to earn everything. The bullying helped me a lot just because they showed me that I have to earn everything and they're not giving anything to me easily, so it definitely helped me growing as a competitor. I'd say when he was around 12, he would start beating me in basketball, and then I didn't want to play him in basketball anymore. I think the moment I realized he's going to be he's going to be good if he just keeps working like that. There was snow outside, cold, and I see him in our yard shooting a basketball, and he tells me that he started shooting with his left hand because with his right hand everything went in. And he wanted a bit of a challenge, maybe. Any free time that Lowry had, he was playing basketball. He was the first one in the gym and the last one to leave. Growing up, Lowry's favorite player was Dwayne Wade, so he tried to shape his game after Dwayne. Lowry started early, getting coached at only eight years old by Yari Lane. He loved to play with the ball. That's, that's the one big thing, his desire to do things and uh, want to learn to play basketball is very high. But uh, his uh, willingness is to play is so, so big. It's definitely helped me just model my game after a guard because I feel, I feel like I'm really skilled for a seven-footer. So I, I know that helped me a lot because I tried to do moves that they did. So that made me definitely better. Lowry attended Kilpinen from age 13 to 16. It's a comprehensive school that offers classes focusing on physical conditioning. Sammy Kalea was the principal and physical education teacher at the time. Me as a principal, I made some special actions with Lowry and some other guys. For example, I ordered the cleaning staff to open the doors for these boys every morning at 6 o'clock. So 6 a.m. they came here and they practiced basketball. And the school started at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock. So they had two or three hours morning time to, to train. I think I'm the best athlete in the family. You got to be confident on your abilities. And especially, I would probably say my oldest brother right now. But if my brothers are saying that themselves, of course, I got to say that I'm the best. At age 15, Lowry was practicing with the men's team that Yari Lane coached. Lowry decided to leave Finland and play college basketball at Arizona. His father had played at Kansas under then-coach Roy Williams for the 1989-90 and 90 season. That inspired Lowry's decision. It had a lot of influence because I always knew that I want to be the best in the family, so it motivated me a lot. My ultimate goal has always been playing in the NBA, and I felt like playing college basketball is the best way to go to do that. And then the other part of it was that obviously the whole whole life I played in, in Finland, so I wanted to make me uncomfortable and go and do something different just because basketball was created here. So, of course, the game is a little bit different, so I wanted to improve myself as much as possible. 
Before choosing Arizona, Lowry traveled with his dad, Pekka, to visit colleges in the United States. It was a pretty tough trip for, for me mentally also because first we went to Utah and uh, Hanno Mötter, that only Finland NBA player, played there. And then we went, went to North Carolina and there was Coach Williams and also Coach Robinson who were both coaching me in Kansas. So of course we had relationships for those schools. And then we went to Arizona. Of course, Laurie was ready to make decisions already after those two schools, but I said, well, we have to give a fair chance for all those schools. And we went to Arizona and suddenly we realized that uh, actually it might be best place for Laurie because all, the, all their uh, number four position players were seniors that year, so there was really a chance to get playing time immediately during his first year. Market in left corner for three, and he got it. Speaking of a timely three, turnaround jumper, good, and a foul again. Lowry Marketed is taking over this ball game. Not only did Lowry find that the game was faster in the United States, he also found it was more physical. But that didn't stop him. He was known as Big Plow, or the finisher, by other players, averaging 15.6 points per game during his freshman year at Arizona. He also converted 42.3% of his three-point attempts. Lowry made the decision to leave Arizona and enter the 2017 NBA draft after that freshman season. When, when Lowry came to Arizona, we made a two-year call. If it's needed, he will stay two years in Arizona, and we, we will see, in two years, we will see what's the level where he should be. But then, after that first, first season, we, what, which was great for Lowry, when all those uh, predictions are saying that Lowry is supposed to be lottery pick, we didn't really see the reason why he should stay another year in college. Being a one-and-done player was a, at the end of the day, it was an easy decision for me because I felt ready and it's my time to go, but it would have been good to go back to Arizona too, just because it's an amazing program and you really couldn't go wrong with either one. So, but I felt that's it's my time to go. Lowry's mom, dad, and brother Mika will be in New York City for the draft. My emotions with the NBA draft is going to be, I don't even know how I'm going to feel, but definitely not going to cry, but it's a such a great moment for me. It's just my whole life, the dream is to be player in the NBA, so now it's finally going to happen, so it feels unreal. I still can't realize it. Commissioner calling my name is going to be a dream come true, but on the other side, I know that it's just the beginning and I have to get to work. It's going to mean for me um, a lot, of course. I'm going to be very proud of him, as I'm proud of my other sons, too. I'm very proud because they uh, succeed, and this has been the Lowry's dream for, for a long time. And sometimes dreams come true. I know tonight's going to be emotional for my family. Just um, They know how much work I've put in and how much work they have put in. Just taking me to morning practice at 6 a.m. and so I know it's going to be emotional for them. You don't see many people from Finland in the NBA, so he's a kind of a unicorn from, from Finland. 
that, but hopefully there's there's going to be a lot more in the future. I'm more than pleased. I'm so happy for Lauri that now he has chance to do his own career and everything is up to Lauri. When we come back, we'll talk with ESPN Draft Insider Chad Ford about where he thinks Laurie will go in the draft. But first, if you're listening in Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. If you like what you hear, make sure you're subscribed so you can find us next time. And if you subscribe on the ESPN app, we can send you an alert whenever we have a new episode. We'll be right back. Here with Chad Ford, ESPN senior writer for College Basketball, and we're talking about Laurie Marketing. I think he's a fascinating case for a lot of people who've been watching the draft. You have him ranked seventh in your mock draft. Why there? Well, I, I think there's a couple of things that are very intriguing about him. You can argue that he's the best shooter in this draft, period. He just happens to be seven feet tall, and that's very unusual that we normally talk about the best shooter in the draft being a seven-footer. And that is a very intriguing skill set for the modern NBA right now, where we want our big men not just to post up in the post and isolate there, but really stretch the floor and stretch the defense. The stretch four is one of the most coveted positions in the NBA, and Markinen is a true stretch four. He's not a big guy who can shoot the ball a little bit. He's a shooter that happens to be a big guy. And, uh, and I think that's the really intriguing thing about him. He also has a good body. He's a solid athlete. Um, he is aggressive with that shot. Um, he's not afraid to take it. He's not afraid to let it fly. But then he misses some of those other traditional big man skills. He's not been a great rebounder. He's not a great rim protector. He hasn't necessarily shown uh, much in the way of a post game. And so he's this modern NBA big who's way more comfortable playing on the perimeter than he is down in the post. Now, if he could do the post stuff too, if we're talking about a guy who's also rebounding and blocking shots, then we're talking about a Carl Anthony Towns and we're talking about a number one pick in the draft. Um, but because he has those weaknesses and plays a little bit more of a limited role, um, you start moving him down into what where draft the seventh pick is, it's, which is really like a good starter in the NBA, but not necessarily a superstar. You're seeing this evolution of some of these players, even some of the big men like you're referencing with the stretch four. Who are some players in the league that he reminds you of? I think one guy, well, there's two guys that he gets compared to a lot. One, which I don't think is fair. The first one, he's an international player. He's a seven-footer, Dirk Nowitzki. And you're going to hear that over and over again. And look, there are some aspects of his game that are Dirk-like. Certainly the shooting is one aspect that you would look at. He has the ability to do some step backs, um, which is Dirk Dirk has made famous over his career and and shoot off balance a little bit. and, And that's part of his game. He's not the athlete nor does he have the rest of the game, the basketball IQ, the passing, certainly not that Dirk Nowitzki has now. Now maybe he develops that in time. Um, and when you're talking about Dirk Nowitzki, you're just also talking about an all-timer, right? You were talking about an all-time Hall of Famer. It's very hard to compare young prospects to guys like that, but there's some comps there. I think if we were to get more realistic and sort of put this in the ballpark of a guy who I think it's very likely that he can hit that target, we're talking about Ryan Anderson. Uh, Ryan Anderson played for the Rockets this year. He's a 6'9 power forward who really shoots the basketball, is going to take three, four, five threes a game, doesn't necessarily give you much on the rebounding defensive end, um, and is a major asset as an offensive player. And then, as we saw in the players, got exposed a bit as a defensive player in the Rockets' 
really had a hard decision to make of of keeping him on the floor. And I, I think with Markkanen, it's more likely we're going to see him play a role like that or someone like a Channing Frye than we're going to see him become the next Dirk Nowitzki. But that ceiling is there for him. And that's that's intriguing. But even a Ryan Anderson is such a valuable prospect in a draft like this that I think teams are really comfortable with that. You've talked about the positives to his game, mm-hmm. and yet it feels like you keep disclaiming that there are things he needs to work on, the defense being a criticism that he can't seem to shake. How does that impact where he's going to land in this draft? Well, I think it's it's it becomes situational then, right? Like, I have him mocked right now to the Minnesota Timberwolves at seven. And you look at who he's surrounded with on each side, Carl Anthony Towns in the middle, Andrew Wiggins on the wing. Both of those guys, terrific defenders, can make up a little bit for a player who isn't a great defender, right? You can hide him a little bit in your system. If you have a weak defender defender at five and a weak defender at three, bringing in a guy like Markinen wouldn't make a lot of sense for your team right now, right? And so I think one of the reasons the Timberwolves can consider him that high is the personnel that they have around them. They have a lot of players that can be capable defenders in the league. They weren't a great defensive team last year, but mostly I think it's because they're young. They have Tom Thibodeau as their coach. He's one of the best defensive coaches in the league. I think they figure that they can they can hide him a little bit on the defensive end. But that's that's going to be the criticism. You're going to have a seven-footer, and some coaches are going to want you to rebound and block shots and post up in the paint. That's what they want seven-footers to do. He doesn't do any of that. Um, but he is going to go out there and shoot threes. So if Mike D'Antoni is your coach, <laughs> right, um, you're going to love a, a love a player like uh, uh, Larry Markkinen. Um, those are the criticisms. I don't think they're going to be detrimental to his value as a player in the league, but they'll keep him from probably being an all-star. So you've mentioned Minnesota specifically because that's where he's pinned right now in your mock right. draft. What are some other teams that could benefit from a player like Laurie? Or Orlando at six is another another team that's that's taking a very serious look at him. Again, they have a, a very similar need. They had brought Channing Fry in for a few years, and then Serge Ibaka last year to play that to play that role. And now Serge Ibaka was traded at the trade deadline, so they have a spot there. Uh, for him, I think that's his that's his ceiling. I don't think Markinen goes ahead of there, but six and seven are are very possible. Then you have Dallas at nine, uh, and Dallas obviously very familiar with this type of player. And um, certainly, as you look at the end of Dirk Nowitzki's career right now, and he's coming to an end, having a player like Markinen that could be groomed by Dirk Nowitzki uh, for a year or two before he retires, that's an ideal situation for everybody involved. And you know, one of the truths about rookies in the NBA is that we get very excited about them on draft night and we should, but it's going to be a couple of years before they have really any impact on the wins that a team's going to have. They they might put up numbers, but if you look at the real plus minuses, their teams aren't really better um, without them on the floor because they're just so inefficient until they can really figure out the game. And so being able to bring him along a little slowly, um, Dirk, Dirk's probably not going to play much more than 20 points a night anyway um, over the next couple of, uh, you know, uh, of the next couple of years. He's a great fit there. And then Sacramento, I think, is the other team um, that has a lot of interest in him as well. Um, And certainly, again, a team that's moving towards a positionless basketball type of team right now and could certainly use him as well. I don't see Markinen sliding out of the top 10. I I think his range is right there between 6 and 10. He is an interesting study because, as you mentioned, an international player came to the States to go to college is there difficulty now in scouting these guys who spend so much of their playing career 
outside the United States, or does technology make it so everything's flooding right to your computer? Yeah, when I first started scouting guys internationally in 2001, um, it was really hard. And and a lot of teams really didn't have an infrastructure to do it. And there were some teams that were ahead of the curve, like the Dallas Mavericks and and the Detroit Pistons with Tony Renzoni that were really out there and, and advanced in this. And a lot of teams that didn't really have anything. You fast forward to 2017, and virtually every team in the league has a very sophisticated international scouting structure. They have international scouts that live full-time overseas that report to them, as well as their scouts their assistant general managers and their general managers are going to take multiple trips uh, to Europe throughout the season um, to see these guys both in practice and playing. And what's interesting to me about it is that you still don't have the comfort level scouting wise that you do with a college player. I feel like it's a more of a known situation. The players that they're playing against are more known. The systems that they're playing in are more known. It's just easier still to this day to scout a college player. And so because of that, it's 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 interesting in some ways. Had Markinen stayed in Europe, I almost wonder whether he would go higher in the draft than he would go now. Because I think that teams feel they have a very complete scouting picture on him. They see his weaknesses. They see his strengths. He played at a high-level program at Arizona in the Pac-12. And certainly they got to see him up against other types of prospects and NBA prospects would have been harder to do over in Europe. And when players are young, we have what I call this a little irrational exuberance about players, right? We want to see the good. We don't want to see the bad. If they're in situations where that's not exposed, we're, we're more likely to talk about their strengths than their weaknesses. Yeah, we just assume they don't exist. Right. right? So Markinen, if he's an international prospect and he's shooting the ball like that, we might be talking about him as a three, four, five pick in the draft because he went over and played in college and we were able to see his warts a little bit as well and see how he fits into a more known system. I think you have a little bit more complete scouting picture. And the other thing that I'll just point out too is analytics have played a huge, huge role now in NBA draft decision-making. It, it plays a major role for every front office. And we have really good analytics when it comes to college basketball players. We know exactly kind of what those numbers mean and how to plug those formulas in. Translating international stats into that format is still much, very much a work in progress. And so, again, marketing has to, have to, has to deal with the analytics part of this, right, where they feel they're very confident in the analytics scores for, for marketing. Now, I will say this. He, he tests out very well. Uh, from an analytics standpoint, he tests out as a top five or six prospect in this draft, um, at least in the in the model Kevin Pelton has been using, uh, our analytics guy, as well as several other teams that have shared their analytics uh, scores with me. If theoretically going to college as opposed to playing internationally for your entire career can work against you, is this the best time for him to come out, or would he have benefited from more time in the college game? You could argue the longer you're there, the more you expose those warts you referenced. If you're a top 10 prospect, you come out. I just think you do. Uh, the risk is too high. Ivan Rab is a great example of this last year. He would have been a lottery pick, uh, might have even been a top 10 prospect after one year at Cal. He goes back for a second year. He's under the microscope now as a sophomore Whereas you're willing to look at your warts as a freshman and say, ah, he's young. It was his rookie year. He'll get over it. As a sophomore, you expect those warts to start to go away as a sophomore. If they do go away, you're in great shape. Um, if they don't go away and they didn't go away for Rab, then teams start to say maybe these warts aren't going to go away. Maybe this is just who the player is. 
And now I'm not sure Ivan Rab is a first-round pick, and I think that is the risk that these players really take. There's a lot of money on the table, and that's one that you just have to look at, right? These are human beings. These are not just robots, and they're, they're thinking about their future and what that means. And then the second thing, I think, is this misconception that a lot of our college basketball analysts have and a lot of our college coaches want to say, which is, oh, they'll develop more over in the, in the college game. I just don't believe that's true. If they go to the NBA, they play against pros every day. They learn the pro system. Our D-League has gotten much more advanced and, and much more professional in its way of preparing players as well. I don't buy anymore that college basketball is the best developmental route. It's a good one, and for the right, some players, it's the right, it's the right one. But it's not uniformly the right one and certainly certainly not necessarily the best one anymore. And so if Marco then comes to the NBA and he doesn't get minutes and he's playing on a D-League team or he's just getting lots of reps in, in practice um, for a pro team, I don't think that hinders his development. Playing time is only one of a number of factors in a player's development and getting great coaching, getting great development, learning the game because the NBA game is different than the college basketball game. All of those are critical components too uh, to a player's development, and I, I just don't buy anymore that it, it has to be college. So for those two reasons, come out. As we watched the NBA Finals, you saw the Warriors and the Cavs, two teams that did rely heavily on their three-point shooting, and Larry Markkinen has that skill set as well. Where do you think he ranks as far as his three-point shooting with some of the other sharpshooters in the league? I think there's... Um, well, in the draft, there's only two other guys that I'd even put up there with him, and that's Malik Monk out of Kentucky and Luke Kennard out of, out of Duke. I mean, he's right there. As far as big men that, that really shoot the basketball, he's got the potential to be as good as any big man in the league right now. I don't think he's Steph Curry, right? So we're not going to go there. Um, but as far as a big man who can shoot the basketball, he's got that potential to be a 42 43% the high volume three point shooter in the league. And for a big man, that's that's absolutely phenomenal. Even if you get a big man that's at thirty six, thirty seven percent, that's really good in the NBA. I think Markinen's probably going to edge on the side of forty percent. It's interesting. He started the season so red hot that we were looking at him like has there ever been a precedent for a guy? I mean he was shooting over fifty percent from three um early in the season and then he had a definite drop off at towards the end of the season and whether that was just a slump that happened or whether he was regressing back to the mean a little bit, shooting always was a little bit streaky. I think we're still trying to figure that out. But there was a moment, I'd say about halfway through the college basketball season, where Markinen looked like he might be the best shooting seven-foot prospect that we've ever seen uh, coming out. Cooled off a little bit at the end. Okay, so you have him going to Minnesota in your mock draft. Yeah. Is that the best fit for him? I think so. I, I mean, if you ask me what are the up-and-coming teams look like in the NBA, I think if Philadelphia gets Markel Fultz in three or four years, him, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, they're going to be a handful um, uh, to deal with right now. You already look at Minnesota. They have Carl Anthony Towns, I think, who can be an MVP in the league someday. Uh, Andrew Wiggins, who I think can be an all-star um, someday in the league. Zach Levine is very good. Ricky Rubio is very good. Now you're going to put Markinen on the floor with them. Talk about a young starting five. Um, and what is Minnesota needed more than anything else? Shooting um, and be able to put him there I think is really a terrific um terrific place for him as well. Those are the those are the young and up and coming teams where if I was a player and forget about the weather, um given where Markinen's from, I think he can handle the weather in Minnesota. Um it, it's a great fit, great coach, great teammates. 
you're going to get a lot of open looks. That's the other thing about playing for Minnesota. Going to get a lot of open looks. Not going to ask Markinen to come in and have to create his own shot. That's where I think you're going to get into trouble. Carl Anthony Towns has great gravity. Defenses are going to collapse on him. Andrew Wiggins, um, great gravity. Defenses uh, collapsing on him. That leaves a lot of wide-open charts for Markinen, and that's going to be problems for NBA defenses. This was a fantastic talk with Chad Ford talking all things NBA draft. Chad, Markinen two. Minnesota Timberwolves, number seven. That's my prediction. And he's got good reason for believing so. Thanks, Chad. To subscribe to the SC Featured Podcast, go to the Listen tab of the ESPN app or download it on Apple Podcasts. This episode of SC Featured was produced by Christine Newby and edited by Steve McCarthy and Damian Robinson. Gustavo Coletti is the senior managing producer. And I'm your host, Jen Latta. Until next time, thanks for listening.